minds in the game hosted by adam camilleri art of war down under hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to this episode 77 all the sevens something bingo something something you are back this is art of war down under and we are reviewing the second part of the gene stealer cult goodness for your eating pleasure um, joined to me are the same two gents i had on last week so it should be no surprise and they need very little is it a plum? Very little, very little hype for either of them. The first guy is the number one ranked player in the ITC as it sits right now. And as it sits right now, we are one day away from list sub, so it is quite the spicy time of the year. Hello, John Lennon. Hello, hello. It is good to be here. I'm happy to be here talking about perhaps my favorite, perhaps my favorite army in the game. Perhaps. 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 And I think it's a good, good reason because this book is extremely exciting. And the second part of this trio, that makes sense. The third part of this trio is uh, Canon Biggs. Hello, brother. Hey, what's going on, man? Greetings to all the followers of the true emperor, the one with four arms. Yes, he has four arms. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Is he just like some... Some human centipede action right there. Yeah, it couldn't be any other nefarious issues. We're bringing this up from where we left last week, which is very well received. So I'm happy you guys all enjoyed it. We finished up talking about the strats. And if, if someone was to give us the TLDR of what we learned so far in the first half of this book, what would that be, John? Um, if you're looking to get the first half of this book, this would be in episode 76, perhaps? Jeez, that is TLDR. That's, that, is, that is very much. We're, 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 we're in episode 77 right now. That's correct. So you should listen to episode 76 first. You should definitely do that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is absolutely a continuation. We're going to be starting at page 68. But before we get into that, I've got to tell you a little bit about what we do here on Art of War Down Under. This is primarily a content review podcast. And we don't have things to review. I have a huge slew of other things that I've patch fixed into my format because I tried to start this, <laughs> this podcast during a global pandemic, which massive, massive shortages. I was expected to be able to like, you know, be doing a review of a new codex like twice a month. And sometimes I'm doing one every three months as it has been. But when we don't have those things like that, we do matter analysis. We talk to some interesting people and hear stories who all bunch of amazing, mighty, amazingly exciting things. And if you want the second part of this podcast, which is only for subscribers and patrons, you can go over to Patreon and just search Art of War Down Under, or you can go over to the Art of War 40K and purchase the second part of this podcast, in addition to the second part of the venerable Art of War vanilla flagship, whatever you want to call it, the OJ. And the wonderful um, uh, Blake Law Art of War Unbroken. And you get all those for one nice lump sum. In addition to getting all in on the War Room, which John is about to tell us all about. All right. In the Art of War War Room on our website, theartofwar40k.com, you can find all kinds of competitive 40K knowledge. We offer premium coaching and our best, our absolute best product, the War Room. In the War Room, you can get tons of videos. We have like two or three videos a day. We do up to 14 events a week mm -hmm. where we talk about absolute premium, high quality coaching knowledge. We've got excellent coaches like myself, Nick Nonavati, Richard Siegler, Brad Chester, Ridvin Scari Martinez, and many, many more there to help you on your journey to become a better 40K player. And it's all part of a global 40K community where you can join like-minded players who are looking to get better at the hobby we love. Beautiful. Well done. Jumping back in here again, well, like I said, we're going to be on page 68 for those following along at home. Now, Canon Biggs, this is proficient planning is where we're starting. This is the thing that you buy on your list to make your stuff super spicy. Everyone's got something like this, like chapter command. 
Give us the explanation. What is proficient planning and what's the go? I've been professionally planning for like the last week since I've seen the leaks. And uh, this is a great addition to the book. I think it's a great addition. I think it's a really cool system that they should maybe add, look to add to you know, future codexes um, where it feels like you can add uh, like customization to each squad um, as it fits as a whole within the gene story called army, which is very meticulous. So basically how the system works is there's a, there's a table and you get, there's about 10 of them and they are associated with points cost or power level. If you play power level for some reason, um, you can take one of them, uh, per, per your, per your army and you can put it on any unit. There's obviously some restrictions. You cannot repeat in any of these and they're yep. all great. I think that last line capsulates that they're all pretty, pretty usable, which is very rare. I mean, we've had, we've had whole systems in books that are completely unusable. In the Dark Angels book, I can tell you it is unusable. <laughs> why would I want to? Why would I want to pay points to make a unit sometimes worse in my detachment rather than better? Um, but this one, John, you've been pretty happy with this. You have been taking two or three of these in most of your lists. Uh, feel free to tell us your thoughts on it, and then jump in and tell us about the first one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've even gone up to four. Um, all of these are very, you know, nicely costed. They're all in between 10 and 20 points, similar to the Black Templar ones. Kind of like that same book. Um, when you look at it, every single one of these I can look at and say, wow, there is a, a genuine reason why I would pay for this. Yeah. And none of them are so expensive that I'm like, eh, I wish I could have it, just not for that much. Um, honestly, every single one here is a good value. You're going to really consider all of them when you're building your list. I think there are some favorites and some standouts, but uh, I'm happy to start with the first one because these are, frankly, all of them have good value. So starting off, we have Lying in Wait. This is for an infantry unit only. When this unit is set up on the battlefield as reinforcements, uh, as a result of being set up underground, it can lie in wait. If it does so, you set the unit up on the battlefield anywhere that is more than three inches away from enemy, any enemy models, and until the end of the turn, this unit is not eligible to declare a charge with. So basically for 20 points pregame, you do the same thing as a 2CB strat that uh, Instacle had before. Mm -hmm. uh, in case that 6-inch uh, insertion is just not quite as good as, um, you know, as you want, you can pay points 3 inches. This is great for getting units into position. Yeah, I agree. This is really good for... Uh, you'd think you want to use this on uh, an aggressive unit, but you do... You do want to use it on a shooting unit if you can, especially with a lot of hand flamers and things of, of that ilk. But... Um, for, for me, it just seems to be uh, I pay 20 points to make sure this five-man always gets to steal an objective. That seems pretty damn good. Cannon, what do you think? That's a good trade-off. The 2CP compared to 20 points, I think I'd rather spend the 20 points here. Uh, now it's not reusable like it was in the last edition where you yeah. can bring the five-man acolytes in and then just take objectives away for about two turns. This is a one-time deal, but I, I would pay the 20 points here and say it's very good. Well, fair enough, mate. Tell us about the next one as well. Uh, the next one is Exacting Planner. So if you're taking a Primus, I, I personally believe that you probably take this one as well. So the Primus, if you guys don't know, he gives an aura reroll once a hit. In the command phase, he designates a core unit to reroll once a wound. 15-point uh, upgrade here. What's going to happen is you can use that ability to reroll wounds twice, mm -hmm. and you can pick a non-core unit for that. And this does apply with the Nexus as well. Pretty solid for a model you're probably already taking as well. 15 points isn't going to break the bank. John? Uh, I love it. Uh, the fact that it's the only way to get rerolls onto a non-core unit is very valuable. For 15 points, that alone gives it some merit. Mm. Also, just uh, with Gene Slur Cult, you really don't like to swing and miss. Any way to add efficiency is something that you want to look at. Yeah, because you can't take a hit back. Every swing needs to exactly. be a hit. Exactly. For 15 points, I'm very willing to consider that. Yeah, for sure. And especially with not being on core models, this is one of the ways where you make Aberrants pretty relevant. You can give actually give them legitimate buffs. All right, next one's mine. Uh, Alchemist Supreme, this is 15 points. Biophagist model only. When you give a unit this ability, 
select one cult core unit or cult aberrant unit from your army, then select one genomic enhancement from the, the unit to gain. Um, so this is this is a, it's just a human pregame, right? Rather than rolling mm -hmm. on your list, you can almost list. And you get to choose it. And you get to choose it. So you can just have, uh, what are the options? So the options are plus one AP in close combat, yep. exploding sixes to hit in close combat, and five plus feel no pain roll. Those are all good options. The five plus feel no pain, obviously, to me, seems like the go-to, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. so you could just pick any core unit or aberrant unit, and they start with that. No need for actions, no need for rolls. Mm. They just start with a five feel no pain. You'd, th you'd automatically think this would be great for the aberrants, but I think this is better on the jackals, personally. Mm -hmm. um, taking the jackals, because they already have a, you can already give them a five up and for paupers. Yep. Uh, and you're on the table, and then they go five up, five up, minus one to hit, and all of a sudden, for their points, they're phenomenally frustrating. <laughs> exactly. uh, Cannon, what do you think? Uh, it's great. I, I found that with the biophagus, right? That's what, that's what we're talking about, right? Yep. Yep. With the biophagus, a uh, great value. Uh, he's cheap, and then on top of that, you get to pick a unit. Usually, you're going to do the five uh, five up field no pain pregame, or you want to put six exploding sixes on the unit of metamorphs mm. uh, pregame. It's, he, he gets a little weird later on if you don't take the uh, familiar to uh you know start giving out the buffs to random units it's you know obviously you're taking aberrants you probably bring the alchemist supreme um and the biophagus but not i'm not in love with this one if i'm being honest yeah i'm not i'm not enamored with it i think if you've got a plan for it it makes a lot of sense john tell us about the next one yeah the next one is a trap sprung when this unit is set up on the battlefield as reinforcements as a result of being set up underground then until the end of the turn each time a charge roll is made for this unit roll one additional dice and discard one of the dice. So this takes a unit that's uh, charging out of reserves and charges 3d6, take the highest, instead of your normal 2d6. Again, considering you set up eight inches away, yeah, not nine, this, yeah. takes, uh, this takes the unit's charge and makes it pretty reliable. Uh, this is a 15-pointer, um, uh, but it's just good, good value. If I could honestly pay 15 points to, I mean, well, it's almost doubling the percentile for making, a, making an eight, right? Rolling mm -hmm. another d6 yeah. is almost doubling the percent. Um, and then, of course, you have a CP to reroll all three dice and then discard yep. it. And with a reroll, it's oh, it's got to be like 80% you make that charge now, isn't it? Exactly. It, yeah. it takes it from being like a 60% charge, I think, an eight with a reroll. Mm. And just being able to go three to six, take the highest, I think it takes it above 80, almost yeah. 90%. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy reliable. Um, tell us about yeah. a perfect ambush there. I'm assuming there's nothing else to add there, but Canon, it's just, it is good. Yes, take. Yeah, yeah perfect ambush. Oh, no, trap trap from important to note is uh, it, it keyword underground. So if you return to the shadows yeah. of the unit, they're not going to come back down and get the 3d6 charge again. Exactly. Right. So uh, next up, we got perfect ambush. Crossfire unit only when this unit is set up on the battlefield. as reinforcements being set up underground. Uh, you can use this ability. If you do so, select the enemy unit within 12 inches. And basically, that unit counts as being exposed and having a crossfire marker for that unit specifically. This could be great with like a 20 brick of neophytes coming in. Um, you're getting the plus one to hit. And you're getting the plus one to wound without having to do anything else uh, other than mm. sort of Mm -hmm. uh, how many points was this one? This one was a 15-pointer. John, what are your thoughts? Uh, super solid. You know, I mean, if you look at it purely as 15 points for a unit to get plus one to wound on the turn it arrives from reserves, it seems like really good value to me. Mm. I actually really like this the most on uh, Acolytes with Handflingers. This dropping in close by, because it has to be something within 12, I don't love it as much on Neophytes because I like being a little farther away with their 24-inch guns. Uh, but mm -hmm. or Acolytes with Handflamers are going to be within 12 if they're shooting. So I, I really like this one conceptually. Um, if you're taking that kind of unit, this seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, I think I think though this needs a different kind of meta to really be activated. Mm -hmm. Like we need more guardsmen, we need more non-big yeah. non nids and things of that ilk. Although plus one to wound uh, helps a lot against racks and things like that. So yeah, and yeah. you know even even with hand flamers wounding on fives because they're strength three, like that's a lot of you know yeah, like fifteen guys with hand flamers is going to be about 
16 or 17 wounds caused. Mm -hmm. You know, just, that's just a lot of saves. So, yeah, you just drown him. All right, from every angle is up next. This one is 10 points. At the start of the first battle round, if this mission uses strategic reserve rules, this unit can be placed into strategic reserves without having to pay any additional CP, regardless of how many units are already in strategic reserve. When setting up this unit from strategic reserve, treat the current battle round number as being one more than it currently is. Note this means this unit can arrive from strategic reserves in the first battle round. Now, there was a lot of misconceptions about this when it first came out. People thinking that you can arrive via uh, underground, so as in come mm -hmm. just nine inches away. But no, it specifically states strategic reserve twice, so you do have to come in from a battle edge. That's correct, yeah, guys? Yeah, unfortunately true. You have to do a classic outflank, not in your opponent's deployment zone or uh, you know off their table edge, mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. And you know, turn one reserves are good. But because of that, I feel like it's a little more limited for combat units because yeah. you can't really arrive where you want to. Yeah, so it pretty much that means it, it's kind of null for combat units. Much, much better paying to do a, a trap sprung or something else of that ilk. Cannon, anything to add here? I, I really like this one with the list that I've been building. So if you lead more of the shooty way, it's essentially just a, a redeploy. Yeah. Um, yep. And if you're bringing a lot of stuff that has big footprints, uh, for example, bikes or you know vehicles or ridge runners, and you don't want to you know get, get them shot off, Turn one, or you just need to be able to reposition. If you go first, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good take. Being able to do it on vehicles like a three-man red drone unit actually is very valuable. Huge. Absolutely. Because this can go on literally any unit of the Gene Circle Army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it for that purpose. All right, um, who's up next? John, you want to go? Yeah, absolutely. Next up is Meditations in Shadow. This one's real simple. Psyker model only. The model knows one additional psychic power from the bird mind discipline. 15 points, no an extra power. I'm actually a fan of this one. I'm a fan. I just wish I said it could cast an extra power as well. And I'd be happy to pay 20 points, another five, another, even yeah. another 10 points on top to have that extra. But as yeah. it is, I still think it's good because the Broodmind Discipline is good. And the reason this is cool, we stated it in the last one, you get your uh, cult-specific psychic power for free in addition. Mm -hmm. So taking this means you can always have that flex into it. Yeah, it means you, at that point, you know, your caster normally knows to and smite. Then they know their cult power with meditation shadow. They know a third power, mm. so they know five total. Um, you still cast two, but that that's still a lot to choose from in like a toolbox character. I like this if you take one psyker. As soon as you take a second psyker, it's not really relevant. Nah, so yeah. But uh, this is a good budget way to get one psyker who knows what I see as the three best spells because there are three distinctly useful spells yeah. that I always want to have. Meditations and shadow means you know all three of them, and uh, you're ready to go. Beautiful, Cannon. Uh, you get the big baddie here, the excavate. Tell us about it. John, you sure you don't want this one? No, I left it for you. <laughs> for oh, John, John, will get, John will get to have the first say after you're done. Okay, all right. So before the battle, if this unit is set up underground, it can excavate. If it does so, it resolves a pre-battle ability uh, in the step of the mission sequence. You select one terrain feature on the battlefield. That terrain feature loses all uh, benefits of dense, heavy cover, and light cover and inspiring traits and gains the difficult ground keyword. I will point out real quick that it loses defensible, not dense, but dense. still really good. I see this as just such a frustration take. I mean, play, just putting the stating that you have this on your list just makes people deploy differently. I can see just it just messing with people's minds. Like, okay, I was going to stage behind this large piece that I played, I placed either incorrectly or I have to play with, and then it, that piece that I thought I could rely on, that I could insulate my army with, is doing nothing but hampering me. And it is hilariously trolly. It's such a troll pick. It's, it's so, it's so GSC-esque. I mean, you've taken this on just about every list so far, John. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I love just like, especially in something like player place train, where it's like, hey, just so you know, one of these pieces is actually going to kind of suck for you. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh man, like, well, which one is it going to be? I can't place this in a good, oh, it's whichever one you place in the best spot. 
So now you have to try to put two in a good spot and then one of them will be useless. And of course, I'm going to decide this after I see you deploy. So it's just it's just super trolly, super tricky. Mm. It's not like broken, but it's, it's just good value. And it's an extra mind game. And if you play Gene Slurk Cult, it's because you love mind games. Fair. That is fair. Uh, Canon, your thoughts? Where I, where I really love this is I think it really shines on GW Train layout. I haven't yes. personally loved it on Player Place, but GW Train having like these giant runes with the footprint that are covering like you know eighteen percent of the board. You just hey, you're minus two to move through uh, your own ruins where you're staging to go you know to the center or whatever. It's 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 wonderful there for sure. Yeah, because they can't avoid if they want to get like a lane of ingress onto the midboard objectives. They have to go through this big footprint ruin. You're just like yeah, nah, doesn't benefit you, but it benefits me. It feels really really powerful. All right, next up, they came from below. Uh, Non-vehicle units only. If this unit is set up in ambush, uh, when revealing ambush markers, you can do one of the following. Remove one ambush marker from the battlefield and set it up that you can set up the unit underground instead, so put them into uh, deep strike, essentially. And after setting that unit up from ambush marker, a unit is able to make a normal move as if it was in movement phase, but must end that move more than nine inches away from enemy models. This one is a 10-point. This is cheap as chips, and I think this is one of the best for me. The shenanigans for mind play... And I've seen, so this is the way you get a turn one charge, right? Mm-hmm. Boys? Yes, every time. Uh, so maybe unpack that package for us, John. Like, how do you, what do you use so, this on? So real quick, I know it says non-vehicle unit only. Can we just, yeah. like, save time and say keyword pure strain gene stealers only? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. man, if you're going to take this to make a normal move on someone, uh, you could do it on bikes, but bikes already scout move. And then pure strains are the fastest unit. Yep. And if you're going for turn one moves, pure strains naturally advance and charge. So they're just the best unit at going fast and mm-hmm. hitting people. Uh, on pure strains, you know, you move eight, then you move eight and advance. And of course, if you spend that CP for the auto advance six, one unit is going a clean 22 inches on turn one if you go first. Super deadly. Your opponent's going to have to account for that. And it's not going to be fun for them. This is this is what gives the gut check to your opponent. You're like, yep. oh, is it Dawn of War? Well, these guys are just going to... The blip, they're going to move nine inches from the blip, and then they're going to move nine inches plus six, and then they're going to declare whatever damn charge they want. Feels really potent. Oh, sorry, they're going to go an extra inch as well if they twist the helix. Just yeah, why because. not? Right? Um, Cannon, any other options for units apart from the, the pure strains? Uh, metamorphs, is, as far as getting them up maybe to a center ruin early, um, I think that's probably the only application that I've seen used for them. Like you pointed out that the bikes do already have a pregame move. A lot of the stuff you kind of want to have that already have a pregame move. But I think putting, you know, Brick of Metamorphs in the center objective or the center ruins, you know, early on in the game, it's just kind of a huge problem for your opponent to deal with. So that's also an option. I'd also like to point out with the, uh, they come from below, getting those turn one charges with the pair strains. Like sometimes you're not even losing them because you can just return to the shadows if your opponent mispositioned. Yeah, yeah spot on. Um, stick with you, Ken, and tell us about the last one. Our time is nigh. This one's very simple. Uh, the first time this unit selected to fight, um, basically you just get plus one attack. Not can you cumulative with my from beyond, which is fine. Which is the my from beyond honestly feels like one of the most powerful spells in the, in the brig mind discipline. So being able, able to give two units uh, plus one attack when you're you know hitting two units of time, three units of time to combat, it's, it's actually pretty good for ten points. That's uh, fifteen. Yeah. It, it, this is actually a weird one. Our time is nigh has two different points cost in two different parts of the book. It's ten in some spots, fifteen in another. Uh, since we haven't gotten an FAQ yet. Um, um, LVO has ruled that you go ahead and pay the 15 point erring on the side of caution but yeah. hey there's a chance you'll get a free 5 points later yeah exactly right um, as it sits right now man Excavate just seems so 
trolly, trolly. not to take. So you're going you're to take it if you're a GSC diehard. Um, as far as those go, John, what's your next one or two you take? Uh, my next one has to be uh, be that scout move. They came from below. That one feels really, really good for me. Yeah. Uh, I love that on Pierce range. Just having that threat of like, hey, I know I'm like a, I'm a like deep strike charge army is what everyone thinks of Gene Stercult as. One, not true. Two, I love just being like, this This Twisted Helix Pure Strain unit can move 24 inches and charge turn one. There's yeah. no rolls involved. There's just no 24 inches and I roll a charge. Yeah. No variance. Cannon, what's one that you take? Uh, so I take, the I usually take four. It's usually exacting planner, trap sprung from every angle, and they came from below. Um, the full package. Came, came from below is usually the first one I take. Then it's trap sprung, and then the uh, exacting planner from every angle from that. I flip the points, so... <clears throat> Fair. Well, I'm, I'm really, I was really impressed when I read through those rules, and I thought this may be one of the best, uh, you know, build into list uh, packages that GW has given us. It's the most exciting for me. Like it's mm -hmm. more exciting than because uh, I think the next one after that, for the ones that are most thematic and fun, is the Black Templars one. And I think this is this is more fun and more impactful than the Black Templars one as well. Um, onto the Wall of Traits. So the first one here is Focus of Adoration. Whilst a friendly cult core or cult pure strain gene steal unit is within six of this warlord, that unit is eligible to perform a heroic intervention as if it was a character. This has some pretty crazy good applications. The only issue is it kind of plays counterintuitive to, I guess, what we consider a traditional GSC list that has quite a few melee units. This is kind of something used to insulate your line when you're playing a bit more of a defensive posture, right? Yeah, that is a little bit weird because gene steal cult one really isn't good at taking charges. Um, and then it's, I feel like heroic interventions are too easy to avoid when they're three inch ones mm. that you kind of tell your opponent about like, Hey, yeah, this is my Waller trait. And they're gonna be like, Oh, I hope I don't forget about this. Yeah. That's, that's that just really, feels like what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, jumping in the next one straight away then, Cannon, up to you. Shadowstalker, uh, minus one to hit for your Woolard. <laughs> Never gonna take it, I don't think. Uh, John, you'll hit the next one as well. Yep. Easy. Biomorph adaptation, solid all rounder. Add one to the attacks and toughness characteristic of this warlord. Um, just solid, honestly. I, I love it on a patriot getting him to T6 and 7 attacks. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think this is ever one you build a list around, but if you're looking at it and you're like, hmm, I've taken two warlord traits, what's a good third one because I get it for free? Yeah, buy a morph adaptation, toss it on. Yeah, and you get it for free because of the strat we were talking about exactly in, 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 last week. Um, Prowling Adjutant. Once per turn, when this Warlord is selected as a target of a charge, before the charge roll is made and before firing any Overwatch, it can make a normal move of six inches. It's trolley. I mean, only real, only real one I see that using on is a Kalimorph, right? When you just want to throw him out against a, an all-milly uh, army. Kalimorph cannot take Warlord traits. It's true. You're right. That absolutely you. right. That would make a lot of sense. But I see no purpose for this. <laughs> well, well, let's look at this. You don't get to redeclare the charge. That's true. It doesn't have the caveat like the, the service So raiders. if you ever multi-charge... And then you just like run away from the other unit they're charging, mm. they could auto fail. Or you can move closer and move block them from getting to the charge target that and the target cute. fails. It, it's very tricky and cute. And what character are you throwing away to perform this? Um, honestly, I actually think I would put it on a patriarch that's buried in my lines because now them charging the patriarch is pretty much impossible. And yeah. so the patriarch's always gonna be the one charging them. That's fair. As, patriarchs yeah. are like tough, but not so tough that they can't die. Mm. You know, if I get hit by a knight, I'm probably going down. But if I've got Prowling Adjutant on a Patriarch, that at least may buy him a turn in like the, you know, the kind of the scrap in the middle where I'm trying to get the upper hand. Yeah. It, there is some value to it. And the fact that they cannot redeclare the charge to me is, is where this yeah. is like a good player can get a lot of miles out of that. That's fair. You, you sold me a little bit on it. Absolutely. Cannon, do you have anything to add? This is my, this is my favorite Warlord trait. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear. Yeah. It, it, there's, it's some jank. It, it requires a little bit of 
you know, tricks and positioning and stuff like that. But if you're, I, obviously I'm not going to not tell my opponent that it has it, uh, that I have it, but my opponent's like, I'm going to rely on a seven inch charge to get into your patriarch, which is a very important character. He has all your good psychic spells and stuff. Uh, you're just like, okay, well add six inches to that. Now it's, I'm out of range, right? You had a seven inch charge. Now I'm going 13. Maybe they screwed up, but it just, again, the multi charges as well. So they need to get into maybe unit of acolytes behind a building and you got your patriarch being kind of, you know, screened there trying to declare bigger charges. Now you're just, you kind of screw people out of, um, combat, you know, John said that you don't really like getting in charge with this army mm. can't confirm. And this is kind of a little tool that you can use to try to mitigate that a little bit. Fantastic. All right, up next, Alien Majesty. Add three to the range of this Warlord's aura abilities, up to a maximum of nine, and then add three to the range of the following abilities this Warlord has, if any. Uh, Jackal, Meticulous Planner, Priority, Target. Um, unpack that for us a little bit. John, what's that second dot point refer to? So this is awkward. Jackal is not an aura, and is not an ability with a range. So I, I'm assuming that they're, one of the Jackal Alpha's abilities is supposed to get a range buff here. Unfortunately, Jackal lets you fall back, shoot, and charge. So I don't know what adding three inches to the range yeah. of that. Means. Yeah, I don't know what it does. But well, um, here because party target, I believe, is the ability of the jackal alphas. Yeah, I, I feel like they just need to FAQ a word on that. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Uh, but meticulous pr planner is the primus ability to give a unit um, mm -hmm. uh, the rear ones uh, to wound, and then priority target is the alphas one where you pick a unit and it becomes exposed, and you pick a friendly unit to count as exposed. Uh, just adding range to the auras is very useful. Yeah, this army likes its characters. It likes its buff. Anytime you can get more character buffs on more units, you're in good shape. For me, this is just a very solid pick that I want in my army. I agree. I think this is my this is my I think first pick so mm -hmm. far. It just makes yeah. everything you're already doing just that bit better. Cannon, anything to add? Yep. There's you can kind of build around this with you know bladed cog where you take the psychic spells you know to get the plus one against damage one weapons. You can really just build into some good auras in this book, and this yep. is just a way to make it better. And this is this is the way you make pauper prints work as well, right? Exactly. This is just any auras that the that the warlord has. So if they have a relic that gives an aura, if they cast a spell like you know bladed cog that gives an aura, if they have any aura abilities on their data sheet, all of it gets plus three inches. It's pretty slick. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, John, take away with the last one. All right, uh, uh, preternatural speed. I don't know. I, I thought yeah, it was going to yeah, be pre-natural, but there's a, <laughs> a Peter in there. Uh, each time this warlord makes a melee attack, you can re-roll the hit roll. Solid. At the start of the fight phase, if this wards within engagement range of enemy enemy units, it can fight first that phase. I almost feel like number three and number six are the two in every book. Every book just has these two in it. The I've... plus one attacks and toughness, or it's plus one strength and attacks, or plus one mm -hmm. wound and toughness. And then the, 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 the I fight first and I get a reroll something. I was going to say everyone has plus three inches to auras. That's true. Yeah, everyone those three. Those bad. three. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. just gets those now. I mean, this is generic. It's solid. I don't think it's particularly necessary anywhere, nah. but it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I don't. I don't feel like it makes the cut for me. Maybe it makes the cut for you boys. Cannon. This is a hard pass for me. Hard pass. Love it. Yep. Um, in saying that, I feel like Agent Majesty, uh, Alien Majesty, is just head and shoulders above for for what you try and do as a GSC player. But you guys are the experts, and oh well, you both agreed anyway. So whatever. <laughs> um, jumping over to the Broodmite Discipline. First up here is Mass Hypnosis. These all have the same names that they always had, up from what I can tell. So mm. they've all just changed a little bit. This is a malediction which means it's probably not takeable. Uh, the wall charge value of seven. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 of invisible to the Psyker. To the start of the next Psyche phase, subtract one from the attack characteristics of models in that unit. In the fight phase, that unit is not eligible to fight until all eligible units have fought. Apologies, it's Witchfire that I, I mean to say this never gets taken. If you see something that says Witchfire, generally you don't take it. This is good. Yeah, this is super, super solid. It's a fight last. Warp charge seven is a little pricey, 
but like a fight less is normally warp charge six. You get that second bullet point of subtract one from attacks characteristics. Mm -hmm. There is no minimum one. I'm going to go ahead and be reasonable and say that it's probably minimum one. Uh, but <laughs> like still, minus one attack makes racks one attack very safe to tag. Yep. They're not going to be interrupting anyways. This is like a fantastic spell. This is a must. This is a great great spell. Yeah, this is this is wonderful. This is you're 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 taking this, especially in your melee. List. You're taking this, and it's so good that it almost makes me want to take the relic. Uh, which is instantly good, the Unwilling Orb, which we'll cover later, just for the plus one. Because it's you, Orb Charge 7, if it goes off on a 6 now, it's and it's great. Feels really good. Well, Suka, you can, and tell us about Mind Control. Oh, this is this is bitter. Uh, <laughs> not as fun as it was. <laughs> so we got a Malediction, Warp Charge of 6, uh, select enemy unit visible within 18 inches, and start until the start of your next Psychic Phase, each time that model and that unit makes an attack, minus one to hit, the result of the psych test was equal to or greater than that unit's leadership characteristic. Subtract from that one, subtract one from that unit's leadership characteristic, and subtract one from combat attrition tests. I mean, if it were Ralph, isn't matted? Sure. <laughs> it used to be so cool, and now it's so bad. Yep. I mean, it's yeah. Like it doesn't look bad if you forget what mind control used to be. Anything that says combat attrition, I like put it in like a little folder in my brain. That I'm going to go back and check this in 10th edition to see what combat attrition does yeah, then. Yeah. Um. I'm, the 10th edition Night Lord meta is going to shake the stars. That's right. But right now, I'm skipping over mind control. Fair, fair enough. Tell us about psionic blast. Ooh, speaking of spe skipping over, this is a witch fire just for Adam. Yeah. It's warp charge five. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches of and visible to the psyker. For the purpose of selecting that enemy unit, unless the enemy unit is within engagement range of the Psyker, the Lookout Sir rule applies as if the Psychic Power is a ranged weapon with a ranged characteristic of 18. Basically, pick a unit within 18, but also not a, not a little character. And then that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If the result of the Psychic Test was equal to or greater than the unit's leadership uh, characteristic, they suffer three mortal wounds instead of D3. This is a pocket smite. Yeah, cool. It's, it's fine. It's choose something within 18 and toss D3 mortals on it at Warp Charge 5. So it's better than Smite. You have not bad odds of making it a flat three wounds. Um, it, it is what it is. But as far as Witchfires go, this is better than most. Yeah, it's it not earth-shaking. Yeah. But if you've got an extra spell and you're like, oh, there's nothing to take, just maybe toss it in. Yeah, why maybe? not? Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, next up is Metal Onslaught. It's another Witchfire, which means it sits in the, the, uh, the pistols, the Relic Pistol sections of my life. Um, it is a warp charge of five. It manifests with one enemy unit within 24 and visible to the Psyker. And roll 4d6 for each result of a five plus. Is that a three or a five? Five. That's five. Uh, the unit suffers one mortal wound. If any models in that unit are destroyed as a result of those mortal wounds, but that unit is not destroyed, keep repeating this process, reducing the number of dice rolled by one each time. So you roll four, then you roll three, and then you roll two, etc. Um, and you keep just keep on going. The number of your dice roll is... Oh, sorry. Um... Any of the following conditions are met during this roll. The number of your dice roll is zero. Then you stop, of course. Um, you resolve, you roll and you don't get any fives and no enemy units models were destroyed. So any of those things happen. And guess what? Those things will happen all the damn time. This is a very horrible. This is a very complicated way to kill two guardsmen. To kill two guardsmen, I was about to say. Because you're going to get one, one or two on the first one and then you're likely to get one on the second one and then you get none and none and then it's over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is... Doesn't this, one stop anymore or what's going on here what's up oh yeah you give me the card you can't auto kill the, the biggest things in the game um no. do, do, what, what's so bad about this is that it makes sonic blast look horrifically awesome it looks terrific it does yeah. and the sonic blast is just like gold standard for terrible witch fires and because all witch fires are terrible yeah anyway canon you're up next 
Psychic stimulus. This is a great one. Uh, so we got a warp charge six. It's a blessing. It's not a witch fire, so we're good. Um, so it manifests it's like one friendly cult unit within 18 inches and visible. Uh, basically, you get advance and charge and shoot. And uh, the unit is eligible to shoot and declare a charge in the turn in which advance or fell back. And models of the unit do not suffer the penalty incurred for hit rolls for firing assault weapons in the same turn they advanced. This is very, very good. You're taking this every time. You already have advance and charge for one CPL and acolytes. Now you can throw advance and charge on you know something else, maybe bikes, more acolytes. Um, this is really cool. This is they changed it a little bit uh, with the add, add bonus to the shooting, and then it can advance in which it fell back. I mean, this is this is a great spell. I think this is a, fa- a phenomenal spell. The fact that you get to double down on this with the advance and charge stratagem as well just means you're getting that insulation. So it's yeah. just adding like a, a failure check, a double down on it. It's nice. Exactly. You know, we already talked about how this is basically if you're going to advance and charge and you're about to spend that one CP to advance and charge of the Nacolite unit in the charge phase, go ahead and uh, roll the dice and, you know, in the psych phase on a six plus, you just gain a CP. And then, of course, the, the value of you can fall back and charge, just great. Uh, even, even fall back and shoot. Yeah, exactly right. People just want to come up and tag you, mm-hmm. you know, everything, bits and pieces. Um, it says cult unit as well, so you can use this to fall back and shoot with vehicles, no yep. problems. Yeah, everything. it's not Corlock. Yeah, it's Easy. nice. Uh, John, you got the last one. Mike from Beyond, uh, simple and a classic. Uh, warp charge value six, select one friendly cult unit within 18 of and visible to the psyker. Until the start of your next psych phase, add one of the attacks characteristic of models in that unit. Uh, that is bread and butter good. It is just warp charge six plus one attack. It used to be warp charge seven plus one attack and strength, but uh, getting a little bit easier to cast and only being plus one attack is fine for me because mm-hmm. um, it's more reliable. Uh, still, really, really good. Ginster Colton needs that attack buff. This is one of the few ways to get it. Yep. Uh, this is just a bread and butter spell that you're going to want in every list. It's just another way to not swing and a miss. You never want to swing and miss with Ginster Colton. So as far as I can see, Cannon, you remove the Witch Flyers and Mind Control, and there are your three powers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to, yeah, Mind Control, Sonic Blast, Middle Onslaught. You're going to put them in every list. All right, moving on. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, as it's right now, those three powers, that the, three, the, the two blessings, well, the two blessings... Are phenomenal mm-hmm. and mass hypnosis is just integral yeah. to winning games. And this is where I said that I really want three spells. Yes, exactly right. Exactly. That's yeah. why I actually yeah. kind of like uh, dwelling in the shadows. Because mm. yeah, you're just going to need, or one of them is one of those is always going to be a flex, right? Because you're going to yeah. have like one turn of the game where you, yeah. you don't need plus one attack. You're going to have like one yeah. turn of a game where you just need to fall back and shoot because the mm-hmm. chips are down, and they're just going to be able to have them. It's fantastic. Yep. Uh, moving into the relics section. Now, we have two pages of relics here, and the first one is going to be told us about by Johnny Boy. All right. The Sword of the Void's Eye is uh, pretty easy. This replaces a Colt Bone Sword or Locust Blades, um, and uh, it is just a melee weapon, plus two strength, AP three, damage two, and each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can reroll the hit roll, and you can reroll the wound roll. So just super solid. You take your uh, take your little dude, mm-hmm. turn him into uh, a mini blender. How many attacks on the locust? So a locust is five attacks, and then a, yep. the tail is a sixth, so it won't be made with this weapon. And then a primus, I believe, is four attacks and makes an extra one with his little uh, snippy claw. Yep. So, I mean, not game-changing, but a damn, pretty respectable profile, especially with reels to hit, reels to wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just super good. Um, you're up next, Cannon. Yeah, give me the good one. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. You're the best, man. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So we got the Hand of Aberrance. Uh, so Toxin Injector model only, so that's going to be your Primus. So the profile on this is going to be Strength User, AP2, Damage 3. It's a Relic weapon, melee weapon. You make an additional attack, that, so base 4, up to 5. 
So it is a hits on twos, wounds on twos, damage three combat weapon. Mm. I don't now know. The, the hits on twos is that it, 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 it's poison two plus against vehicles, against non vehicles. Exactly. And the primary school has weapon skill too, I believe. So. Mm-hmm. That is is money. If you want to slap people with a Primus, man, this is the way to go. And he's, it's really good. I mean, I'm kind of off the rusted claw train, but you can give him Tesla six as well if you really want to just double down on the hurt. Yeah. I, I think I just do plus one attack and toughness on the Primus. Just yeah. make him have six attacks to the hand of Aberrant. So just go roll twos. This yeah. is just a better. This is just better than Void's Eye though. For an, uh, for. An- for a Primus, 100%. Yeah. I think a Locust might think about the Void's Eye, but also, like, am I really putting a weapon on my Locust? Eh, yeah. maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, Amulet of the Void Worm. Uh, the bear has a full plus invulnerable save. Once per a battle, when an attack is allocated to the bear, it can choose to channel a Shadow in the Warp. If it does so, the saving throw is automatically a 6. Do not roll. Um, if it does so, the saving throw... Oh, yeah, once per battle. You can you wait until... You, may, you, you, you slow roll, and then you can make your last one a rolling pass. And then each time the bearer declares a charge, enemy units that were targeted by that charge cannot fire Overwatch or set to defend. This is cute. This is a, there's very few invulnerable saves in Gene Seal Cult. Yeah. And so just getting one and then some sprinkle of extra goodness seems okay, but I, I still just don't know if you're taking it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a, a way to ignore Overwatch. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, they have baked several other ways into the book yeah. to where this is no longer mandatory for me. Whereas it's very good in the old book because there weren't a lot of ways to, to shut off Overwatch. Uh, it, it seems like a perfectly fine relic that's probably not going to make the cut, but you know you can always revisit it in a different meta and see if it matters. Mm. Um, Cannon, you're up next. Oh, Oppressor's Bane. This one. It's, it's a relic pistol, guys. Everybody sit down. <laughs> the, uh, spoiler, this is, not, this is not good. It's just a pistol 3, strength 4, AP 2, damage 2. The big thing here is you get um, you get to give that model crossfire. So if you want to take the worst character in the book, the saboteur, <laughs> and give him crossfire, this is how you do it, guys. What model does it have to go on? Um, so it's uh, auto pistol only. That's the only requirement. It's got to be an auto pistol model. So uh, fair, fair. So it's it's range fifteen, pistol three, strength four minus two, two damage. Yay, <laughs> relic pistol! Everybody is ever happy. Yay, woo! It used to reroll wounds against characters and target characters and i mm. felt a little bit better when it did that i would feel much better if it did that yeah it wasn't actually bad at the time like we were rolling wounds against characters <gasps> like mm. coming to my house and say i'm going <laughs> pistols good um this next one is called i'm gonna veto and do this one because mm. this is worm tooth rounds this isn't a relic pistol this is ammunition okay because it's actually good <laughs> And the rules uh, must apply. GW knows the rules. If it says pistol on it, everything that follows has to be bad. This says Kalamorph model only. Each time the bearer shoots, you mm. can select an any number of Liberator auto stubs it is equipped with to fire a Liberator Wormtooth round. Um, if you do so, then until the shooting is resolved, each Liberator auto pistol, also auto stub, you select has the following profile. See? It doesn't replace anything. It's not in of itself a pistol. It's heavy 18. So, yeah, it's heavy 18. Have you won range 18? 18. Strength 6, minus 3, 3 damage. And a Wormtooth round does not have the Liberator auto subs abilities to target characters. But it still does generate extra attacks with every hit roll, which is a superb. And then if you're shooting into something that's exposed, like a knight, which I played and lost 6 wounds a turn to this guy. Thanks, John. Uh, this thing is actually good. Yeah, it's actually, like, super nasty. Um, you So you lose the... Uh... You lose the abilities of the um, like of the auto stub, but you still keep the Calamorphs abilities. You still get the extra hits. Yep. You lose the no lookout, sir. Still great. And you, you get to choose. You can choose to shoot your normal Liberator auto stub, or you can choose to shoot the, uh, the Wormtooth round. Either way, I think this is a fantastic relic. If you take a Calamorph, which I recommend, take this relic. 
I agree. So this is more akin to Corvidae bolts for Raven Guard or whatever it was called um, than it is to, you know, an actual Relic pistol. Ha! Ha, got Negotiated him. that one. Uh, Cannon, anything else to add? I, I agree. It's, I don't think it's a pistol. It, it says yeah. heavy one. It's a round. You can stay. This isn't it. This is it. John, you're up next. All right, the Dagger of Swift Sacrifice. This is a model equipped with a Magus Bio-Dagger or a Sanctus Bio-Dagger only. Each time the model is selected to fight, you can reroll one wound roll when making the bearer's attacks. And each time after the bearer is fought, select one enemy model that lost any wounds as a result of an attack made by the, the bearer's uh, Magus Bio-Dagger or Sanctus Bio-Dagger, but was not destroyed. Roll 1d6 on a 3+, this model suffers d3 mortal wounds. And if it is destroyed, any excess mortal wounds are ignored. So it's like the, so media. Okay, so like if you wound someone with your Magus or Sanctus and you don't kill them, you can do D3 mortal wounds on a 3 plus up to the point where you kill them, at which point it stops. This is God so awful. not what I want this at is, all. This is the upper I, echelon I, of God awful. Yeah, like a Magus never wants to be in combat, and a Sanctus is also not good. So, especially not with a Bio Dagger. So, I, I think we're just calling this one not <laughs> is, a thing. Uh, Cannons, is this the worst one? No, this is my favorite. <laughs> Attaboy. <laughs> Please don't take this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick it with you, Cannon. The Crouchling, which was an auto-take in the old book. Tell us the story. Yes, it was. It was, an, it was plus one to cast. So, unfortunately, it's not that anymore. It's turned into once per phase. Uh, you get to reroll a psychic test for the model. And then if you roll a double, uh, that spell cannot be denied. Uh, pretty relevant with Grey Knights in the meta right now. Mm-hmm. It's still good. Not as good as it used to be. So yeah, it still seems very respectable. Like any any in any other book, any other psychic-ish book, this would feel like a lovely little buff. But compared to what it was before, it's kind of a downgrade. I still think it's very takeable there. Uh, yeah, for sure, uh, absolutely. I, I just I think the well, the one we're going to cover here shortly, I think, is probably the better option. Fair, fair, fair. All right, gift from beyond is up next. Model equipped with a Colt sniper rifle only replaces the Colt sniper rifle. Following profile, range forty eight. Heavy one, strength five, minus three, three damage. Each time you select a target of this weapon, you can no look at sir, blah, blah, blah. And each time in a modified root roll of a four plus, it inflicts a mortal wound on the target. Uh, so this is a, I mean, you still can't, you still can't kill a five wound model with this sniper rifle, can you? No. Damage three instead of a, t- to be clear, this is the same thing as the relic, as the normal sniper rifle with a four mortal. It's just plus one damage, plus 12 range. That, that's fine. Like, that's a good That's fine, buff. yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to wait until four wound characters are a little more popular before I, yeah. before I try to pop this out. Oh, man. My company commanders are still not going to have a good time, are they? Mm, uh, you're up next, John. The Unwilling Orb. You're going to ponder that orb? I'm going to ponder it? I was going to make the joke. Oh. Uh, this one's awesome. Psycho model only. The bear can attempt to deny one additional psychic power in your opponent's psychic phase. While the bear is on the battlefield, each time it attempts to deny a psychic power, it can do so from any range instead of within 24 inches. And each time the bear attempts to manifest a malediction or witchfire psychic power, add one of the attempts psychic test. This is such a good relic. Uh, one, the auto, the whole table range denies great. All of your psychers naturally deny one, so this just makes them deny two. And uh, plus one on your maledictions and witchfires. I, I actually kind of want to take, like, in a two psycher build, I want to take a magus with, like, uh, mass hypnosis, psionic blast, and this relic. Mm, I can see that. And it's just like, if you get anywhere near me, I'm just going to like drop, you know, smite psionic blast on you with plus one, or I can just sit in the back denying from the whole table across, yeah. like suit, just going to be annoying. The full table deny is obnoxious as hell. It's actually really, really, really strong. There are so many armies that still sprinkle like one or two psychic powers here and there sometimes. 
Um, and so many more are about to come out. Like we said, like we've got Guard, we've got Nid still to come, we've got all the Chaos Factions, we've got all the Craft World to work as well, which we know is going to be good. Um, Canon, this is the one you're referring to before, yeah? Yes, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of this. Plus one deny and then deny anywhere on the board. It's not going to come up in a lot of matchups. It feels like a weird relic to take because you know you run into an army where you're not playing against psychers. Yeah, you're still getting the benefit of the plus one and the maledictions and warfires. But in the matchups where they kind of rely on one or two key psychic spells, or there's some you know blanket like you know with gray knights where they're rolling to get their purifying ritual off right, and it, sometimes they'll roll like a five or a six, and you're not really doing with your, anything with your magus or patriarch on that turn. And you're just going to be like, hey, I'm going to deny you two points because you rolled on your flying rituals here. Uh, and then something like Tyranids with like, you know, big bugs are coming in. They're relying on maybe advanced and charge to get in your lines turn one. Having that option to deny them out of range can really swing a game your way. Yeah, exactly so- right. I mean, the Onslaught one is, is a great example. Uh, you moved in advanced and then you get a Swarm Lord and then, yeah, bang. You're riding my lines next to all my good stuff and now you can't charge. Uh, like, that's just a game breaker. Um, next up, uh, Cranial Inlay. This is a Nexos model only. While the bearer is on the battlefield, each time you spend a command point, you can get it back on a 5+. plus. Uh, the bearer can use its strategic coordination ability one additional time. What does that mean, John? So uh, strategic coordination is basically an ability that lets a Nexos uh, pick a character within six inches of him and then project its command phase buff and auras it has onto any core unit, um, even one that's not in range. So normally you can do it onto one unit, now you can do it onto two. Uh, this is really cool. One, this is the only way to regenerate command points in the army. Yeah, yeah. Strats are good. We like command points. Okay, great. Uh, as far as strategic coordination, just projecting your command phase buffs around the table without exposing characters can carry a lot of value. And it also projects auras. So if you have a good defensive aura, then the units you pick with strategic coordination are always going to be in range. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of value in this. This is a If you take a Nexos, it's because of this relic. Agree. Um, ne- yeah, yeah. This, this is... The closest we've got to an auto-take so far, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Cannon, you got the last one. All right, so we got the Voice of the Liberator, so Clam of this model only, add six inches to the range of the Bearer's Proclamation here and, and New Voice Truth's ability, and then plus one leadership within 12 inches. Um, so just to cover the Clam of this, the Proclamation Hailer uh, lets you shoot and do actions without failing, and then you, you ignore um, combat attrition tests. Which is fine, and then the, the new voice of uh, truths in the morale phase select one enemy unit within twelve inches of this model. Roll three d six. The result is greater than leadership yep. um, until the start of next morale phase. That unit cannot perform actions, and they lose opsec. So this is an extra six inches. Of that so you don't have to throw if you're taking a clam of this, you don't have to throw them right into the fray to get this off. Yeah, or get your abilities off. It's fine. I'm not taking a clam of this, but if you do, this is something to look at. Hmm. There you go. That is the str- that is the relic section. As far as I can tell, unwilling orb is straight up the best one here because it's one. It's a thing that no one else has. You get you get a thing, a relic that a guy can do that no one else has. It's full board deny. That's the true, truly unique ability. Um, and then the nexus one is the second one. I think nexus one. You, you should just take that, right? I think the nexus is the best one, but um, I actually like uh, worm tooth rounds more than the unwilling orb. The Unwilling Orb is not bad, but there are just many situations where you don't take it. Again, think of your, you're taking your one Patriarch who's meditating in the dark. He knows two blessings and no witch fires. Correct. So you're not really getting the plus one. And how many are, a lot of armies just don't take Psychus right now because of Grey yeah, Knights. That's fair. So it's very situational. It's really good when you use it, but there's just so many times where it's like, oh, the Unwilling Orb, I'm not doing anything and I don't have a relic on this guy now. Just pondering. Just, just so just, much are you pondering, just pondering the, the orb. action. Pondering to an action. Um, Cannon, what are your auto takes? Auto takes, uh, cranial inlay, 
And if I'm bringing the Kelomorph, it's going to be Wormtooth Rounds. And I like having the option of Hand of Aberrants for Smashing Primus sometimes. Nice. Yep, I think that sums it up nicely. Uh, the next up is the Chapter Approvals, the Secondaries. And the best thing about this page in particular um, is the OG artwork on the other page <laughs> from the original G-Stealer cult. Uh, artwork it's phenomenal you've got the you got the jinx dealers in the back you've got the the echoes and the neophytes in the front and the og primus i love that artwork it's fantastic because the secondaries are a little bit forgettable john tell us a story about the first one. Oh boy the first one is to sabotage critical location and this is a progressive objective in shadow operation so it's the same category as retrieve octarius or knackman data and raise the banners high uh what so it's you gain an act or i'm sorry after choosing deployment zones your opponent must place two Critical location markers on the battlefield. Each of their critical location markers must be more than nine inches away from the battlefield edge and nine inches away from any other critical location markers. If both players must place these markers, the players alternate doing so starting with the defender. This is weird because I see no reason that you get to play one. Yeah. It's just your opponent must place two, so I don't get that. It must mm -hmm. be Crusade. If you select this objective, then units from your army can perform the following action. One or more infantry or biker units from your army, excluding characters... Uh, other than the saboteur, can start to perform this action at the end of the move unit step of your movement phase, notably before reserves come in. Each unit from your army that starts to perform this action must be within three inches of the center of a different one of these opponent's critical location markers, and have no enemy units besides aircraft within three inches of the center of the critical location marker. The action is completed at the end of the, your turn, provided the unit performing it is still within range of the same critical location marker. If this action is successfully complete, you have sabotaged that location, remove it, and uh, you score victory points each time uh, your, uh, a unit from your army completes the sabotage critical location actions as shown below. So you get a number of points equal, uh, you know, or I guess uh, that's associated with a battle round. So if you do it on battle round two, you get nine victory points. If you do it on battle round three, you get seven victory points. Four is five, five is three. So just to sum this up real quick, hand your opponent two poker chips. Your opponent places them anywhere they want on the battlefield, nine inches away from each other. You then have to get over there without using reserves and perform an action while your opponent is not near the spot that they chose. If you do this not on turn two, you cannot possibly max this. Yes. And if you get both of them on turn three, you get 14 points, which sounds amazing, but you have already ruined their life so hard I cannot possibly imagine it. Uh, this is horrible. Your opponent picks two spots, mm -hmm. and you have to kill everything near it without using reserves to get mm -hmm. some points that you still can't max. This it, this should have a caveat that it cannot be placed in opponent's, opponent's deployment zone. If it had that, it could be takeable, and only then sometimes. Like <sighs> even then, like only sometimes. As it says right now, this thing is uh, two three, two and a half paragraphs of void. <laughs> it means nothing to me because I can't take yep. it. Um, Canon, please tell us we're wrong. I think this must. This is probably the hardest secondary achieve in the game. I it's mean, a, yeah, this is one of the hardest ever. Yeah, th this is this is real bad. Never take yeah. this ever. Okay, Cannon, hit us with the next one. Battlefield supremacy, brute swarm, uh, progressive objective. So this is going to go uh, with your engage stranglehold, correct? Right. Uh, at the end of your turn, score one victory point for each of the following that applies. You have more models in your opponent's deployment zone than your opponent does. You have more models within your deployment zone than your opponent does, and you have more models on the battlefield that are not within either deployment zone. You get a point for each that apply. This is fine in some matchups. Yeah. 
something like low model count, this is a pretty good one to take if you don't want to commit to engage. Um, but I don't see it. I, I don't think I've taken this once. I feel like this is the third pick. But then if it's the third pick, it's in Battlefield Supremacy. Why haven't you got one of those that's good? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of kind of suffers if, from not having the third. If this, if this was in, like, one of the god-awful sections of the, the secondaries, this would be an okay third. In, I wish this was in, like, the grinded them down yeah, category. Yeah, yeah, This would be a great third pick because you could rely on reliably get, like, six, seven points. I think you actually take this against Knights. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, you think it's it. better, than, better than Strangle versus Knights? Yeah, because knights are—they just kind of are obligated to run directly towards every objective marker. Yeah, Gene Sprinkle doesn't like to be predictable. Mm -hmm. So at least with Brood Swarm, you can pretty much max points without running into the middle on turn one. Yeah, because th that's one of the things is I like taking a passive turn one against knights because why give them extra chances to blow me up? Exactly right. When you know what they're going to do, have to do in their turn two, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know they have to—they have to come forward. So yeah, I actually do quite like that. that. I'm not thinking. I think it makes sense. All right, last one: Purge Enemy Ambush. At the end of your turn, score 50 points in the following ways. Uh, score 150 point if one or more... Oh, sorry, this is in Purge the Enemy. Apologies. If one or more enemy units were destroyed this turn whilst they had a crossfire marker on. Uh, score 150 point if one or more enemy units were destroyed this turn by units from an army that were set up from ambush or from underground during this turn. Score 150 point if one or more enemy units were destroyed this turn as a result of a ranged attack made by model from your army and that enemy was exposed when, the when it was selected as a target for the ranged attack. Note that enemy units... Uh, sorry, the, that enemy unit must have been exposed as specifically on page 89 rather than by any other means, e.g. by any of the cheaty little uh, GSC-ish ways that you get it done otherwise. Um, this just doesn't get you enough points. No. This just straight yeah. up just doesn't get you enough points because you're going to have, like, your opponent's just going to be like, all right, turn one, I'm not going to give anything to kill because I'm just going to play a passive turn one. Mm -hmm. And most likely, turn five is going to be similar. So it, it could be that you get uh, six points, and that's not even out of that crazy an idea. Yeah, this one is pretty hard. Uh, the The best part about it is that it's in Purge the Enemy, which is That's the same category as like Assassinate or Bring It Down. Yeah. So this is like when you have literally no good secondaries. Okay, at least this is in a category that's not conflicting. Mm. Um, but, eh, not particularly excited so about the, this one. The one point from enemy units that was set up from Ambush or Underground, that's only really an option's turn two and three, unless you're well, spending, uh, spending to do it on turn one. Ambush is a blip. Yep. Okay. So anything so set up one. from a blip turn yeah, one. That's cool. That's cool. So can, one, two, three. So they can be up, yeah. to, up to three points there reliably if you're, if you're building a shooty army. And then possibly five points if you kill a unit every turn. That's a crossfire marker. And legitimately, if you're mono GSC, you should probably be doing that or planning to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's eight points. So yeah, that's actually right. That's okay. That's not too bad. And if bad. you can get at least pick. one or two things exposed, you can get yeah. to nine or ten. Yeah, and that's very respectable. Getting more than ten feels extremely unrealistic. Getting nine or eight feels like where this is going to yeah. end up. Yeah. If that's where you're at for a third secondary, it's nice to remember you have this. The category is the best part. Exactly it doesn't right. conflict with what you already want. If, if, if Brute Swarm was in this category, it would be amazing. It would Well, not amazing, but it'd be very, very tacky. It would help. It would help a lot. <laughs> Canon, anything else to mention there? Yeah, I feel like this kind of skews how you play the game, and you can definitely kind of tailor your list to lean into this. So the ambush marker is pretty good because you can do the combo of the Gene Slayer's pregame move, and that'll get you a kill turn one. Uh, if that's if that's an issue, if that's something you want to do. It's I found that it's difficult later on in the game unless you want to bring maybe a Kellermore for two, and then you know return to the shadows, start bringing them back in, and kind of rotate that for four and five, and hopefully kill you know some chaff or whatever to get those extra points at the end. 
Um, other than that, it's just been really def- difficult to do after turn three. Totally fair enough. All right, moving on to the data sheet stuff. So there's a couple of things here. I'm going to get one of you boys to give, I know we did it last time, but one of you boys to give us uh, a TLDR of how crossfire, conceal, ambush. Um, uh, sorry, one of you will do ambush markers, as in blips, how you deploy them, what do they do, give us a TLDR. I'm going to pass that one to Johnny Boy. All right, so for ambush markers, this is all tied into conceal, so anything that has the, the, the rule conceal, which for the record is literally everything in the book. Um, during deployment, you can set up this unit in ambush instead of setting up on the battlefield. And if you're ambush, then uh, it's considered to be set up on the battlefield, but instead of deploying it, you place a, uh, an ambush marker down. Enemy models cannot be set up or moved within nine inches of the center of any of your ambush markers. They function like the old blips from before. And uh, if you're going to be in ambush, you declare it at the same time as your you would declare a uh, like a transport, like before the yeah. game. And so, and so, just to break down what uh, a marker is, essentially just like a little puck. You yeah, place, it's like a little just, token. Yeah, instead you, of placing a unit, you place a little puck. Yeah, and uh, that you can't interact with it with anything. No, nope, right? you can never interact with it. And uh, it's set up this. It's like the same size as a 32 mil base. Um, so you can be set up in a marker, or you can be set up underground. If you're set up underground, then you. Uh, you can set up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than eight inches away from enemy models at the end of one of your movement phases. Um, or you can be set up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than six inches away from enemy models, but that unit is not eligible to declare a charge this turn. So instead of a normally nine-inch deep strike, you either deep strike eight inches away or yep. six away and don't charge. Correct. And then if you're set up underground, any abilities that are used in your command phase, such as meticulous planner, then the first time that unit is set up on the battlefield, it can use any or all of those abilities as if it was your command phase. So you can take a command phase buff like a Primus, deep strike it, and yep. when it arrives, he's immediately like, you get real one wound. This is huge. This is huge quality of life improvement. Exactly. It's, 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 and it's massive. So what happens when you reveal these markers? When does that happen, and what's the, the operations? All right, so revealing ambush markers. In the first battle round, if you have the first turn, you must reveal all of your ambush markers at the start of your command phase. If you do not have the first turn, you must reveal all of your ambush markers at the end of your opponent's first movement phase. So to reveal an ambush marker, you select one army, uh, one unit from your army that was set up in ambush and has not yet been set up from the ambush marker. You set up one model uh, within one inches of the center of the ambush marker, wholly within your deployment zone and nine inches away from any enemy models. Then you remove the marker. Then you set up the remaining models in that unit, wholly within six inches of the first model, while wholly within your deployment zone and uh, more than nine inches away from any enemy models. Mm -hmm. So basically you place one guy within one inch of the blip and then you place everyone else within six inches of the first model. And uh, they do not count as reinforcements. You can't uh, auspex scan them, for example, by moving up close. Um, And that's it. The nice part is that you don't associate blips with units. You place five blips, five units. You don't place a neophyte blip, a ridge runner blip, an acolyte blip. You don't don't, uh, assign them a blip. Yeah, you don't assign a blip. You choose when you reveal so your opponent doesn't know what blip they're driving up on until either your first command phase or your opponent's end exactly of movement phase. Exactly right. It's, it's so versatile and so awesome, thematically amazing. Um, how instrumental is this to your gameplay, Canon? What do you think? I mean, it's it's huge. This is this is the whole stick behind Gene Slurk Gold is I'm going to deploy in these little blip things. You have no idea what's what. You can't come within nine inches of me. Um, and then I'm you know going to deep strike uh, eight inches and six inches. Uh, everything is underground. If you want it to go underground, obviously there's fifty percent requirement. The, I mean, this is this is the the bread and butter of the army. This is what Gene Sealer Cold is, uh, in my opinion. It just feels thematically cool. It feels very strong. I really like the added the 
ability to do command phase buffs at the end of your movement phase if you come in at the uh, yeah. yeah under. Um, I think that's the big winner for me. Um, there's no more jank of you know putting a blip down and going out to your deployment zone, but that's fine. Mm. Uh, this is great. I, I love this. They kept everything yeah. how they wanted and made it better. So this is the one thing I thought might get changed. Before this book came out, if you had to, if you had to say, oh, Adam, what's one thing you think will get changed or get nerfed or won't be as good? I would have said blips. Like uh, blips might just go. I'm really happy they stayed. It's actually such a huge difference and, and, and so big for them. Um, the army. Next up. Unquestioning loyalty. Each time a saving throw is made for a cult character model from your army that is failed, um, you can select one friendly cult or brood brothers model with this ability within three of that character model. To take an unquestioning loyalty test, do so. Roll a d6, adding one to the result if that character model is a patriarch model. On a roll of a four plus, the test is passed, and that character model does not suffer damage. Instead, the friendly model you selected is destroyed, and the attack sequence ends. So this functions very similar to shield drones, but not quite. It, it, it's they are automatically destroyed. So it doesn't matter how many wounds they've got. Doesn't matter how strong or how powerful or the toughness. If you if you decide to do this, you roll a three plus and or a four plus if they're not a patriarch, and the units just removed. So like you know a quad bike that has uh, wolf quad, sorry, that has four wounds. Doesn't matter. Just get picked up. Um, it's pretty cool to think about this happening. About them all like you know you got like a hundred bolter shots going at a patriarch, and then a hundred guys just you know jump in the way. Um, but the, the important distinction here is that it is after the save throw is failed, and this is what annoys me about this. You sh- I, I don't think you should get to see if the if it, so in the in, in thematically in my head the um, the I've rolled to hit so that they've been hit by the attack, and I've rolled to wound, and the attack has uh, done damage to that person. It was it, the damage with the hit was significant enough that it hurt them, and then they rolled to see if it, it got saved. And so, in where where in there does this body get in the way of the bullet? Right? Where in that interaction does this guy stop the the blade from hitting the person? Well, the cult is all very they're very close knit. So like the the neophyte slides in between the magus and his body armor. Like hey, yeah, but he shot. already failed to save. It showed yeah, yeah, the save. It went, it went through the body armor. Yeah. into the neophyte. Yeah. <laughs> He's in between the magus and his body armor. The neophyte liquefied them, liquefied themselves into a paste like like an octopus almost, and inserted themselves between. Exactly. And, yeah. and then he gets yeah. liquefied by the bullet. Yeah. This is why this is this is the non thematic part of this. Where in the interaction does that occur? Where they, they liquefy themselves to and yeah. Um it should just be before the saving throw. You should have to decide to so say they hit the wounded and bang, they before the in between the saving throw. Yeah, but it's better this way. Uh, for you, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh Cannon, over to you, mate. Unless you've got anything to say about unquestioning loyalty. Uh if you want to pass off the save to like a vehicle that's you know you want to do that that's kind of cool that's kind of cool too yeah t- <laughs> 10 10 wound uh 10 wound vehicle just like drives in the way of the the multi-melter shot um yeah tldr a lot of words on this page but so essentially your units in the army is going to if it has crossfire uh keyword it's going to get access to this page so essentially crossfire step one uh, if you hit a unit, if all your shots are declared at a single unit, with uh, if you get five or more damage, one hits, or one damage, two plus hit, the unit gets a crossfire marker. The effects of crossfire is going to get plus one to hit. So your army is going to get plus one to hit against that unit. Mm-hmm. If the unit is now crossfired, you can do expose. So if you can draw a line from one model through the enemy's base to another crossfire model, that unit is considered exposed, and now you're getting plus one to wound and shooting. And if those uh, criteria are met and you're within 12 inches, um, you get to ignore the cover saves there. 
just solid. Just, yeah. Another one of the core mechanics of the army. And this is the new spice. This is the thing. This is their mono faction bonus. This is what they get a la Miracle Dice, a la, you know, Tactic Doctrine, Dev Doctrine, et cetera, et cetera. I love this. Now, I think we said we, we unpacked this in the first one. I was wholly unprepared for how easy it is to get these <laughs> to get these crossfire markers. Um, I thought it would be, oh, yeah, they're going to have to jank and do bits and pieces and uh, stuff. Turns out you can just, like, expose or crossfire, like, two things a turn every turn at, like, will, um, which is pretty good for the life of the army. I don't know how, where they'd be if you couldn't do that. Um, Cannon, this is, this, you, you are talking about uh, playing a more shooty build. Is this just bread and butter? This is just bread and butter. I don't think shooty GSC is playable if you don't have this. Hmm. Just plus one to hit, plus one to wound, even with just stupid stuff like uh, auto guns or, you know, hand flamers and stuff like that. It just really brings that up a level. Yeah, fair. And I totally agree. John, uh, what do you think of Crossfire? How integral is it? And, uh, you know, do, do you like it as a mechanic? Um, I, I like it as a mechanic a lot because it takes what was a very poor shooting army and actually makes it mm. not reliable yet, but a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do like uh, I do like how many ways there are to get it. I actually kind of wish that there were less ways to get it, but the core mechanic was easier because it feels like you're going to use the strat or the bike abilities to get yeah. exposed most of the yeah. time, which I think is fine, but it's hard to actually expose people. Um, with that said... Uh, I still think it's really good, and as Ken mentioned, it is the only way to make shooting work. Um, frankly, I've even seen some people argue that shooting is not good enough in Jinx Cold, and you should just abandon Crossfire anyways. Um, wow, that yep. is uh, a hot take that I don't agree with until we get more testing. But, uh, well, you know, I, I still think that this is the best way to get shooting into the army, and I yes. think you need some guns. Yep. Just from a playstyle play perspective, I like having some shooting with my melee, this is a great shooting buff. I think it's necessary. That's just whether it's invest, investing half your army, two-thirds, three-quarters, eight-quarter. Yeah, and that, that's what we let, we get to find out. All right, guys, yes. we are into the data sheets. Now, we're not going to do this. We don't. We ain't got time for that to do this one-for-one one, um, all the way through. We're going to pick one or two each that we really like to go over, and we're going to start with Canon. What is one of the data sheets that you think people should know about, one of the units that you love and uh, you want to unpack? What do you, what do you think I'm going to say here? Uh, jack jackals? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us the story, brother. So, so there's this model or this this kit that GW sells called Adeline Jackals, and they they really want to sell them, so they gave them all the data sheet upgrades. Yes, this is one of the biggest glow ups I've ever seen. Uh, ever they it, it, they just straight up added five you know different little mini paragraphs to their abilities. It's it, they're dirt bikes, which you know they feel way they feel like they do way too much for their their kind of like their role in the battlefield but essentially what they get now you're getting with uh the jackals they inherently get fallback shoot and charge mm -hmm. if they're within six inches of any target they're getting plus one to wound um they have a pre-game move right they have access to all the great stratagems they get you know which this if you're gonna make shooting gsc work you have to bring jackals just because of the the exposed and then Demo charges, amping them up to 11, throwing six of them that are damage three. Uh, they are durable as all hell if you build into them. Um, their straight-up weapons got upgraded. Their small arms. Uh, and then the wolf quads are pretty good, too. So, I mean, I, I love this unit. Fantastic. You only missed one special rule out of the 12, and that is that they're inher inherently minus one to hit. Um, that, sorry. That, yeah, my yeah, bad. Yeah, there you. And it's not, it's not even in shooting. I assumed it was just in shooting. I, this is the first time reading it, looking at it there. I'm like, because it's in combat as well, which is funny as hell. Yeah, I um, meant to 
on that. And it was just like, he was like, what? <laughs> yeah. This is a possibly, uh, what's the joke we've done? They're the jackal of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, Please insert that, Seamus. Um, there are, what, 12 points for two toughness, four wounds. I paid 20 points for an intercessor that is two toughness, four wounds. It's a three up. These guys are a four up, but these guys move 14 inches rather than me moving six inches. And then they have a phenomenal amount of special special rules, special weapon options, and versatility. They seem like they can just do just about damn everything. Um, but they can't. So the thing is, oh, unpacking this, uh, both of you guys, they're not quite good enough at any of those things to be like the build around, the core of your army, but they're good enough that you're always going to want to have some, right? Yeah, I think that they're just a generically very useful unit because they can wear so many hats and do yeah. so many tools, and they're not expensive. They're not that killy. They're not that durable, but they're a little more durable than they should be. They're mm -hmm. always going to be acting, and they're very fast. Yeah. And an army that lacks speed in other place, in certain spots, this is very much appreciated. Beautiful. All right, give us one you want to talk about, John. Oh, it's 100% going to be uh, the Gene Stealers of the Gene Stealer Cult. i got to start off with pure strange Gene Stealers. Oh, these things are money. I love Gene Stealers from you know, my Tyranid days and mm -hmm. my Gene Stealer Cult days. Uh, they gave a real glow up to the, the Gene Stealer data sheet here. Uh, <laughs> I just love the size differences of the data sheets. So uh, on this one page, it's only pure strange Gene Stealers. That's all that's on the page, and they take up about a fifth of the page. Yep. The Adeline Jackals take up 85% of the page that they are on. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. rules. There's a lot of rules. Um, but this is easy. Pure strain gene stealers are the same as gene stealers, but better. They went from weapon skill 3 to 2. So they're in weapon skill 2, 4 attacks each, a strength 4, AP 3, damage 1. They do gain cult traits, so they're eligible for something like Twisted Helix plus 1 strength. If you want to get them to strength 5, they can always declare a charge in a turn which it advanced. And they get a 4 plus invulnerable save due to their fast reflexes. How many points? They're 14 points wow. a level. They get lots of the upgrades that we already talked about in the proficient planning section. Uh, just you, you take the unit, you give it plus one weapon skill, plus one attack, four up invuln, and uh, better AP in combat, and that is just a good change. How many more points are these on top of during a gene stealers? Two points, yeah? One. Wow, she's <laughs> so what's that one point get you? Weapons, another weapon skill, another, in, another peep of invuln, another attack mm -hmm. with better rend? Yep. Wow, this is just... Uh, phenomenal glow. Phenomenal one-point increase. Um, I'll get one more from you, Cannon. Ooh. Uh, spicy or... No, I, I'm... You just pick gonna... whichever one you want. It doesn't matter. What, yeah. what do you want to talk about? I'm going to go Acolytes, and I'm going to go specifically Acolytes with the Rock Drills. I think the Rock Drills got such a... Let's, such let's, a dude, let's unpack them. Tell us about the drills. Man, I, I think this might be the best 10-point melee upgrade for, like, a stock troop in the game. It's... It's strength times two, which I don't know why that's even a thing. But you don't when you roll to hit, you don't roll to wound. If, if the weapon hits, it automatically wounds. AP four, damage one, and then the big thing is sixes explode and do two mortals in addition. In addition, the sequence doesn't end. It's addition. Yeah, I don't know why it says times two strength. The acolytes are for those who don't know. They got another pip of toughness. I think is the only difference they had in the data sheet. Mm -hmm. Yep. So now Toughness fault, which I think is a significant change. Um, John, you're a big fan of the rock drills as well. Tell us the story. They're, they're so good. You know, it's, you're removing a step from the sequence. Uh, acolytes hit decently, but, you know, you don't have a ton of rerolls, so just getting an auto wound in on the Acolytes is absolutely fantastic. Um, just, just really, really good. I like the rock drills as well. They're a good all-rounder. If you try to build a cult around it, then you can argue for the rock cutters. Mm -hmm. I think that the rock saw is a little too jackball trades to ever want it. But the rock cutter and the rock drill are great value. Uh, and of course, you can always do hand flamers on acolytes. Their generic weapons also got better. Um, so they just got a very, a very nice ninth edition update.
Agreed. All right, one more for you, John. All right, I'm going to go uh, classic here. I'm going to go to dedicated transports, and we're going to go talk oh. about the Goliath truck. Oh. This thing is, it's just a truck. It's just a, right, right, it's not fancy at all. But the Goliath truck gained a three-up armor save and a minus one damage for the trouble of being could terrible. They just stop with the minus one damage. They could. Enough. But they didn't. Cease. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe when they stop giving me two damage, we can have this conversation. That's right. Um, that's, fair. that's fair. The Goliath truck is just uh, its just a super solid transport. It's open top like a Raider. It's minus one damage like a Dreadnought. It has a three-up save also like a Dreadnought. It has two auto cannons. Uh, it has a cache of demo charges for five points, which is money. Um, it, it's just good for a, for a sub-100 point transport that's open-topped, uh, speedy, relative... Not like hyper durable, but it's annoying to kill. A Goliath truck is harder to kill than a Contemptor most of the time. Um, and it just zips around carrying dudes inside who can shoot. And uh, in uh, the infantry really doesn't like getting shot. And they really like uh, charging you. So I like going around in go-karts so that I can charge people without getting shot. Fair enough. I, I'm, I take a front. I take a front to the... How, how many points is this? Uh, so it's 90 base. It'll go to 95 when you buy the cash of demo charges. Okay. Not if. Okay, does it come with a heavy stub? It comes with a heavy stub. It comes okay. with a heavy stub. So for 95 points, a Torox for guard is has has the same twin auto cannon and a heavy stubber. Is 10 wounds, a toughness 6 with a 3 up save. Movement 14, movement 12, um, but no minus 1 damage. And I doubt that it's going to get it. And is it open topped? No, it's not open topped either. So they can't shoot out of it and it's not minus 1 damage. No and it's the same points. I'll, I'll point one other thing out to piss you off. Do it. The Goliath <laughs> truck is better leadership. It does have better leadership. It also has the demo charge cache, which awesome. they can do more damage with and auto explode itself, yep. which is sick. Um, yeah, I agree with that take. All right, and on that note, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the episode, boys. However, you, uh, Canon, give us your hottest of hot takes now that we finished this book. How strong do you think it is? Do you think it's uh, and, and give us a give us a rating out of ten for how good you think this is for GSC players, how much they'll enjoy it, and how good a product it is. And then tell me how uh, oh, sorry how well GW did. And then tell me where you think this sits in the power rankings, like the, the traditional C to S tier. Okay, lots to unpack here. So if you're if you're a GSC player, right off the bat, it's a ten out of ten for uh, how well the book was written. Um, mm. This seems like a letter from GW because we, we we've been kind of in a bad spot. It, it feels thematically it hits the spot. Everything's feel floppy and competitive. Um, it's a very, very complicated book. This is, this has been a, actually a really rough week of playtesting um, to kind of figure out where it stands and mm. where the, it's going to settle. And I think it's too early to kind of figure out where it sits. I think it's very strong. I don't think it competes with the top dogs in the meta, specifically Thick City and maybe Crusher Stampede being up there. And it feels like Nids may be a tough matchup as well. I think feel like in my test games so far, I've done pretty well until your stock standard, you know, Marines, Templars, finding the custodes. So I think it's in a good spot. It still requires a lot of work to pilot. It also feels very punishing if you make one or two mistakes. It feels like the game kind of crumbles underneath you. Um, but I would like to see more codexes written like this going forward. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'd mm. probably put it B tier right now. Yep. Um, where it could go either slot up one or down. So. Totally, totally fair. I think that's, I, I, I like all of what you said. John, what are your thoughts? All right, so I think this is an, an obscenely well-written book. I mm. would love it if every single book came out the gates like Gene Sturkolt. Uh, I think the internal balance is phenomenal. I think you have a ton of competitive cults, competitive uh, uh, like custom cults. You have relatively even data sheets. There's no, like, why would I take X when Y exists? Yep. Yep. 
Um, they made almost everything useful for how many elite, like bloated elite characters there are. There are mm -hmm. almost all of them are good. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to give it a power rating, I'm going to say that it's at the A minus stage, where it may end up as B plus, it may end up A. I don't think it's S tier, but also I don't really want codexes released into S tier. No. So I. As a Genesler Cult player, I would have loved it if this was the new Admech for a couple months. <laughs> but as a Genesler Cult fan, I'm happy that this is coming out in a strong spot, I think, without being over the top. Um, however, the, the hot and spicy take that I'll, I'll give you is that we haven't talked about allies much. No. I think Genesler Cult melee allied with Tyranids is S tier. I agree with that take. Yep. And I, so I think this is a I think this is a solid B. I think this is a solid B to B plus. Mm -hmm. I think this is a this this is the one of the best written codexes I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Internally and ex internally balanced, it is actually beautiful. Uh, everything has a stratagem that can be used on it. Everything has a multitude of different special rules to make it interesting, exciting, game to game, moment to moment. You, you can take anything in this book, find a way and a meme to a, 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 a way and a meme <laughs> way and a mean to make it enjoyable and to not regret your choices. That feels amazing. I look at this book and I am jealous at every level because it, nothing's overpowered, nothing overshadows anything else, and everything just feels like it's just going to be fun. And yeah. it, it just feels like such a fun book. Um, the only thing is, it's on a knife edge. Every single game, just like you're one mistake away. And that's the only thing that, and that's because it's G GSC. Yeah. Nothing is built to take a hit. And the game is so phenomenally killy at the moment. If this was the eighth edition book, it would have been possibly the most fun book of eighth edition, as mm. in it could just do everything, be everywhere, and everything was great. Um, and it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been too over the top in some ways. As it, as it sits, like I said, I think this is the best book of, of, of ninth edition so far. The best written book of ninth edition, hands down. Um, 10 out of 10 by G-Dub, and yeah, solid B tier, uh, as far as I can tell, for the power of ratings. Um, all right, guys, that's going to bring us to the end of this, but not to the end of this episode in its entirety, because there's a second part we're about to do where we're going to talk about the matchups for GSC. Uh, and that's actually going to be a really big deal, because there are some very good matchups, extremely well-positioned matchups, and then there's some pretty rough ones. And we're going to yep. unpack those, think tank them, the tech you need to take in your list to account for them, the things that you hope your opponent doesn't have or has, and how do you negotiate their rough times and when the chips are down? Because that seems to be, that seems to be it, yeah? Me and, me, and, I've, I'm, me, me, John, and Cannon have, have all talked a bit about GSC, and it seems to be the issue is if you are up and you have a lead, you're likely to stay up. But how do you... How do you get the lead back when you're down? That, that's where it seems to be the, the hard, hard bit is. You agree with that, Cannon? I, it's hard to say. So GSC suffers from having that third secondary, I think, is the main problem I'm saying. So if a lot of armies don't give up, you know, give you something to take against them, it's kind of hard to, to score high. Um, so, it, it, again, we're going to have to break down the matchups. I'm kind of in left field with my build, so I don't entirely find that uh, to be the case. Yep. That's just mine. 100% with like the Twisted Helix mass melee build, uh, Popper Prince's mass melee build with some sprinkled in shooting. Yeah, you have to get the lead early and then kind of ride it, right? Yeah, yeah. And and unlike some other armies, you end up riding the game out of like five models left, but you won by 20 points. Yeah. Uh, John? It feels very sister-esque in that it wants to control the pace of the game the whole time, but as soon as your opponent puts the onus on you to step out in the middle and take the first step, it's a lot harder to do. You do have decent reserve charges, but it, it's hard to rely on that still. And if they screen well, it may not do much. Um, I, I think that Genesis of the Colts can end up being uh, competitive sometimes. It feels very much like the Sisters Codex did on release. Mm -hmm. I think the internal balance here is even better. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but it, it feels like there's going to be a few people that can take it to competitive play. I don't expect to ever see a top eight of a super major with three genes Thurkult in it. Yeah, like no, we're never going to get the Drew card no, numbers out of this no, book no. unless they just make everything 100 points cheaper. Yeah, there's not going to be a wave. That's what I started calling it. There's like a Drakari wave. There was an Admech wave. Mm -hmm. There's now, uh, seems yep. to be like a Crusher Stampede we, wave. We don't want waves. No, we don't want waves. We want little little ripples. Mm -hmm. We want little, little pebbles in our beautiful pond. We want pond. everyone splashing but in the pond. This is more than enough. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that review and enjoyed the time spent with uh, myself and John and Cannon. Um, so thank you so much. Please jump over to and subscribe, get into the part twos, get into the war room, get in and on on all the great stuff that we do. Canon, you've been an absolute pleasure and an honor, mate. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to see you at LVO. Absolutely. I look forward to grabbing a beer with you guys. It's going to be absolutely awesome. John, my, always a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much for coming on. Anything you'd like to say before we check out? No, I think we're good to go. Thanks for watching, everyone. All right. Take care, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow.